those men who have the privilege of shaping the next generation in their own households. The rest of you, of course, are welcome to listen in. But dads, I want to leave you today understanding how vitally important you are to the life of your family and to the greater body of Christ. And this is incredibly true and incredibly applicable in a culture that's been waging an assault on fatherhood for probably as long as I've been alive. And so as we look at fatherhood today, as we look at God's commands to fathers, we want to be mindful of those things. So why don't you pray with me as we get into God's word? Father, we come before you this morning delighted that we can call you Father. You've told us you will not leave us as orphans. You will come. And so we celebrate your fatherhood this morning, Lord God. And we ask that as we look at the practical outworkings of that in the families and the lives of believers, uh, that you would give us grace to hear and understand your word, and that you would help us to apply those things to the lives that you've given to each one of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this thinking about fatherhood in the Ten Commandments. So you go back to Exodus 20, and you've got the Ten Commandments, and the first few of the commandments deal with God's relationship to us, how we are to relate to a holy God. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and others. And then you get into commandments that deal with person-to-person relationships. And the very first one of those is the honor your father and mother command. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's Exodus 20, verse 12. Why does God command children to honor their parents? Is there something special about me? There's something special about my wife, Tara, that these young people being raised in our home should have to honor us? Not at all. Rather, it's the role and responsibility that God has given to fathers and mothers that makes us worthy of respect. And we're going to look at what makes that role so important this morning. So if you're a blank filler inner, if you like the backside of the bulletin, this is the part where we get into the backside of the bulletin. Um, So number one... You are worthy of honor because you are responsible to protect and defend your family. You are worthy of honor because you are responsible to protect and defend your family. Now that is a true statement and I believe it with all my heart, but it took me a while to find a Bible passage that explicitly says that. And I think the reason that is so is it was so well understood in the world of the Bible that a father protects and defends his family that it wasn't explicitly stated. And in fact, the opposite is much more stated. The opposite of talking about those families that didn't have a father, namely the widow and the orphan. The widow and the orphan. For example, in Exodus 22... 22 through 24, God commands, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. These sorts of commands are all over the scriptures. 
The Psalms are full of them. And in Zechariah 7, 9 and 10, the prophet writes, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. Why did these commands need to be given? Because heartless, self-interested, cruel men were oppressing the widow and the fatherless, and there was no father to stand up for them. In other words, God's normal plan for protecting a family in a wicked, fallen world is the father of that family. And in the absence of the father, who may have died for any number of reasons, war, injury, disease, too much red meat, God gave heightened commands and also declared himself in Psalm 68, verse 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God stepped in to care for those in distress, but his standard plan is that the father serves as protection for his family. Speaking of physical protection, John Piper had a memorable comment. The next little bit here is John Piper, which requires some water. If there is a sound downstairs during the night, and it might be a burglar, you don't say to her, your wife, this is an egalitarian marriage, so it's your turn to go check it out. I went last time. And I mean that even if your wife has a black belt in karate. After you've tried, she may finish off the burglar with one good kick to the solar plexus. But you better be unconscious on the floor, or you're no man. That's written on your soul, brother, by God Almighty. Big or little, strong or weak, you go up against the enemy first. Woe to the husband, and woe to the nation that send their women to fight their battles. Now, beyond physical protection, there's also emotional and spiritual protection. One way that you can emotionally protect your family is by not being the dictator or overlord in your home. You're to provide leadership for your family, not dictatorship for your family. And there's a big difference between those two things. And I think many fathers fail at this. Otherwise, Paul would not have had to give the command in Ephesians 6, verse 4, that says not to exasperate our children, or more literally, not to provoke them to anger. You know, there are a million ways you can provoke your children to anger. This can be anything from teasing unmercifully um, to randomly changing the rules in your home. And in fact, uh, if you want exasperated children, that's what I would recommend is change the rules day by day, and I guarantee you will have exasperated children. So uh, more positively, you can emotionally protect your family members from each other. I've had to do that a few times in my 18 years of fathering. Or you might be the listening ear to your daughter's concerns as she navigates the interesting waters with your childhood and the teenage years. That's emotional protection. And then there's spiritual protection. Dad, you are the first line of defense for spirituality in your family. 
And that means that you have to develop your gift of discernment. And even if discernment isn't your number one gift, you need to develop your discernment so that when the Trojan horses of thought and belief want to come into your home, you recognize them and can call them for what they are. I'll give you an example of how that worked in our home. Um, For example, we blocked entertainment choices that were clearly harmful to a developing child's mind and heart. If a TV show or a movie or a piece of literature had at its center theme, men are fools or um, authority is evil or all adults are idiots, um, it didn't get five minutes of hearing time in our home. Why not? Because... Pieces like that chip away at the biblical values that wisdom resides in those who are older than you and that God's given you parents and authority figures in your life for your protection and for your blessing. So what about a movie where those themes aren't quite so obvious? What do you do then? I'll tell you what my father did. 35 years ago, We'd be sitting on the couch watching a television program or a movie, and he would ask me, what are they trying to teach you there? What are the writers and directors of this piece trying to impress upon your soul? You see what he was doing? He was developing discernment in me. He was giving me the tools to look at something beyond just the surface of that thing and ask whether it makes me feel good or whether it makes me feel bad. He was giving me the tools to evaluate it in the light of Scripture. And that's what we need to do for our kids, too. We need to give them the tools to be evaluators of what they see and hear. And that's just one example of spiritual protection. But the point is, dads, you need to know the Word of God You need to know historic Christian theology, and you need to be in prayer so that you can apply those things to real-life situations. We're not going to do this perfectly. I don't do this perfectly, but we have to keep trying with the help of the Holy Spirit. So you are worthy of honor because you are the protection and defense for your family on so many levels. And you're worthy of honor because you are concerned for your family's, here's point two, you are concerned for your family's mental, emotional, and spiritual development. Mental, emotional, and spiritual development. I can think of no better verse to illustrate this truth than the classic Proverbs 22, 6, which reads, Train up a child in the way he should go, And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, certainly, you can get moral teaching out of that passage, right? Train up a child in the way he should go, the way of godliness, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But pastor and author Chuck Swindoll, he was big stuff a generation ago, and today, at the age of 83, is still the senior pastor of Stonebriar Community Church in Frisco, Texas. Um, It's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Chuck Swindoll had a little different take on that passage. Um, He says, The thrust of the passage, train up a child in the way he should go, 
has the sense of train up a child in the path that is right for him. And by so doing, you will bring incalculable blessing into his life. Let me read to you from Chuck Swindoll. He says, The key Hebrew word in the phrase is derek, or way. It can refer to a literal way, such as a road, or it can be less literal and refer to the manner in which something acts, as it does in Proverbs 30, 18, and 19. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. In each of these, the term way refers to a characteristic manner. We are to train a child according to his or her characteristic manner. Some will be artistic, others athletic, still others academic. One may be strong-willed and another compliant. One child can be encouraged by rewards or recognition, while another couldn't care less. Look at the rich imagery and wisdom packed into a single proverb. Training up calls for a relationship in which parent and child dedicate themselves to a shared purpose with all the privileges and responsibilities that go with it. The parent finds ways to encourage behavior that makes everyone happy and satisfies the child's deepest needs. And it involves guiding a wild spirit in order to give it purpose and direction. We receive each child from the hand of God, not as a malleable lump of clay to be molded in whatever way we see fit, but as a unique, distinctive person with a destiny. We are to honor God's creating of this one-of-a-kind individual by adapting our training to his or her characteristic manner. To fight it is to fight God's creation. That's where the Swindoll quote ends. We saw this in our own children. Early on, my third-born, Toby, developed an interest in metalworking. And as parents, we could have looked at this interest for metalworking and said, pretty much no other 21st century children do metalworking. What's wrong with you? But every time he went out to his forge and began to heat the metal and pound the piece of metal into the shape that he wanted it to be, we realized this fed his soul. This is part of who God made him to be and the type of interest he has. So we didn't squelch that. We didn't snuff it out because we knew that it was part of his bent. And I could tell you other stories about other ones of our children and their uniquenesses. But the point, dads, is that you have to know your children. You have to have some idea of who that person is and how God's wired them in order to effectively bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Some of the saddest children in the world are those where the parents decided what the mold was and then shoved the child into the mold that the parent thought was good for that child until the child had no expression or individuality left. You have the opportunity to do better with the children God's given you. So you are worthy of honor because you cultivate and you nurture your family. And then point three, you are worthy of honor 
because you are responsible to tell and retell God's great meta-narrative. So your blanks there are tell and retell. And I'll be honest, I just wanted to use the word meta-narrative in a sermon. <laughs> meta-narrative is an overarching story that gives meaning to all the other stories. Um, would you look with me at Psalm 78? <clears throat> As there's no slides, you'll actually have to turn to it. Psalm 78. Um, this is a psalm of Asaph, and um, Asaph's going to encourage fathers to tell their children the story, um, and then the rest of the psalm rehearses the pretty much the entire history of Israel. So we're, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Asaph says he will utter things from of old, Things we have heard and known, and we've heard and known them because our fathers told us. See, God's entrusted the father of the family to say some very specific things to his family about God. Look again at these verses. In verse 4, in verse 4, Asaph says, We will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, particularly his power and his wonders. We cannot hide those from our children. And that means that you're going to have to open the word of God with your children. You're going to have to reference mighty things God has done in history and is still doing today. And the most important display of his power is the gospel, how the Almighty Father, the perfect Father, sent His Son into the world to seek and to save what was lost, to redeem unlovely sinners from the dire consequences of their sin. Dear children, know the gospel? Have they placed their faith in Christ for salvation? And for all the rest of their needs, would they be able to articulate the gospel to someone else? See, the gospel has to be at the center of God's great story as we tell it. And what does that mean? Let me give you an example. So if I'm studying the scripture, if I'm studying the scripture with my kids, and we're in Genesis chapter 12, and God blesses Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and it finishes up by saying, and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. 
And then I asked my kids, how are all nations on earth blessed through Abram? And when they say, well, Dad, you see, so Jesus came from Abraham's family, and Jesus is the blessing for all nations, then I know that they're understanding the story of Scripture in the context of God's great story, and that it points to the centrality of the gospel. So, And telling God's story means not hiding from your children the things that God has done in your life. For starters, it could mean sharing with them the story of how you were saved, how you came to a personal faith in Jesus Christ. It could mean sharing how God has provided for you through difficult circumstances. It could mean sharing how God has helped you overcome a particular sin in your own life, or perhaps sharing the wisdom that you have learned through following him. And it certainly means teaching your children what God's expectations are for his children. Look at verses 5 through 8. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Why? So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. That's the key right there, right? Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. It all comes together in that way. That is God's normative pattern for the generations, passing on his message. Each generation tells the next generation who God is and what he has commanded. And this transfer of truth and wisdom and love is all by his grace. As uh, Scott Mathis recently wrote in one of his Facebook devotions, salvation is 100% Christ and none of me. Sanctification is all of Christ and all of me. And so we have this responsibility as fathers to declare to our children the greatness of God and the wonder and the privilege of being his servants. Now I will confess to not having done this perfectly at all times. Over the course of this last school year, our lives got busier and busier and busier as we attended every home basketball game, every away basketball game, every track meet, almost every tennis match, and then planned the graduation open house of the century. Thanks for coming. Um, It occurred to me at one point this spring that we were leaving all the purposeful discipleship of our children to Schaefer Academy and to Berean Community Church. Now, that could be worse, but it's backwards. You see, the discipleship is supposed to begin at home. We, as parents, have the primary responsibility for how we raise our children, and the institutions are supposed to assist us in the raising of our children, but we had let it slide into sort of the backwards of that. The community of believers is to assist, not replace the parents in raising godly children. So within a few days of the end of the school year, I rallied the troops and told them that we'd be gathering at 9 o'clock on most nights to study the Bible together. And what do you know? 
There were no protests, no organized resistance, no tears. In fact, you might almost notice a relief in your children as they realize they are doing what they were made to do, getting to know the God who loves them and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for their sins. So, Dad, are you worthy of honor? You certainly are. And I pray that families all across this nation will rise up today and celebrate the men who have given so sacrificially of themselves for the good of their wives and children. And I further pray that husbands and fathers will take seriously the glorious calling to protect their families, nurture and cultivate their children according to who they are inside, the gifts that the Lord's given them, and then tell over and over the great story of salvation, sanctification, and glorification through our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship team, why don't you come back up and we'll pray together. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you that we can interact with you through your word and through your Holy Spirit. We ask you, Lord God, to take the scriptural truths that we've discussed and impress them upon our hearts that we might live lives that are distinct from the world around us and that that might bring glory and honor to you. I thank you, Lord God, that you've given your grace to me and to every other person who has put their faith in Christ. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who has not received you as personal Lord and Savior, I ask that you would do that good work in their hearts, that they would understand that without you they are lost and condemned because their sin separates them from a a holy God. So help them, Lord God, to see Christ crucified for them, raised from the dead for them, and ascended into heaven for them, and help them to put their faith in him this morning. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you that you send us out into the world to make a difference for you. And so we pray that that would happen in our individual lives as well as corporately. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.